Hey everybody, this is Eric Krasno and you are listening to the Plus One Podcast. I want to thank everyone that's been tuning in. We've done 12 episodes so far. This is the 13th episode today. And we've had amazing guests um, throughout these couple months. Last week, Questlove, or last two weeks, we had Questlove on the show, which was so great to hear from him and hear all the stories that he's got. He's been a part of so many great albums and so many great bands and tours. Um, So I want to thank Questlove for being on the show once again. And uh, this week, I have one of my best friends on the show, who also is one of my favorite musicians. Um, We've been working together since we were teenagers. So, you know, pretty much most of my life. And uh, when I met Adam, he was already writing songs, producing, arranging. Um, So it was one of those things where meeting him was just so crucial in my development and watching how he worked and being around his family. You know, his mom and dad are both drummers. And I remember going to their house, you know, as a young teenager and just seeing how musical their household was. They would jam together, they would write songs together, they'd sing harmonies together. So it was just really inspiring to be around him. He showed me a lot of albums and a lot of bands that uh, I didn't know about prior to knowing Adam. And through the years, we've just had so many incredible musical highlights on stage together and just being together, I got to watch him play with Average White Band, opening for Tower of Power when we were like 18 years old, which was just nuts uh, to someone at that age who idolized these bands. And uh, he always supported what I did with Soul Live, and I always supported what he did with his musical endeavors. And then obviously, Lettuce being um, the collective that he and I had been a part of for, for many, many years. And now, you know, they're still on the road. I do not travel with them on the road, but I feel very much a part of that family. We've also produced a lot of records together. You know, Adam has been programming and making beats since before I even knew him and was always so creative in the studio. He can play keys, he can play bass, he can play a little guitar. And, uh, you know, his dad also is a multi-instrumentalist and was always multi-tracking songs. And so he definitely got a lot of that from his dad. But I learned a lot from him in the studio, especially when it came to creating parts for each instrument, you know, and all those parts having its rhythmic place. You know, he's obviously a drummer, so he's thinking rhythmically, but he also has a great knowledge of harmony and melody. Um, and I was always kind of into the technical stuff, you know, the console and learning the different programs that we were using and the different methods of recording. So the match works really well when we're in the studio together. Before we start the episode, I want to mention a couple things that Adam and I have both been involved in. We were both part of a concert that took place online called Justice Comes Alive. You can see more about this at justicecomesalive.com, but tons of great artists submitted their own performances, and it also featured talks between different artists. And I, I spoke with Nigel Hall, who also spoke with Patrice Russian and Gary Bartz and a bunch of different musicians. Uh, Sput Seawright, the great drummer, uh, was one of the presenters, Nikki Glasby, and Live for Live Music really put the whole thing together. So shout out to Kun Shah and Live for Live Music. It was a great event. They've raised over $50,000 for plusone.org. The beneficiaries included Equal Justice Initiative, Impact Justice, and The Bail Project. 
Lettuce has also thrown a concert for the past few years at the Maine State Pier to benefit Full Plates Full Potential, an organization whose mission is to eliminate child hunger in Maine. So shout out to Ryan Zoidis who helped put that together and the rest of the Lettuce crew. I also want to give a shout out to headcount.org. You can go there if you have any questions about voting, about absentee ballots, and I can't urge everyone enough to get out to the polls and vote. We really, really need change and we need everyone's voices to be heard. I also want to mention my partners, Osiris Media, who helped me put this show together. They also make a lot of great content, a lot of great shows. So go over to OsirisPod.com to check out what they're doing. All right, so let's get into the show. He's an amazing drummer, an arranger, an occasional rapper, a songwriter, a producer, and a great band leader, and a really, really good friend. Today's Plus One, Mr. Adam Deitch. Did I ever tell you the story about Chris Dave when he called me? Uh, <laughs> he called me one time. We had just done that tour with Michelle. And he called me, and, and I'm in the studio in our, that old place we had in, in Hell's yeah, Kitchen. He, that's and, where we hung out. Yeah, that's where we hung out. And he called me, and he goes, Say, man, uh, I need a ride. I got the, He said, I got this gig in Jersey. I need a ride. <laughs> and I was like, I oh, man. And, of course, you know, I'm trying to accommodate anything for Chris Dave, but I'm in Manhattan. My, my car is in Brooklyn and I'm assuming he means I need a ride. Like I need you to pick me up and take me to this gig, which I thought was kind of outlandish. I was like, I don't know him that good. He's asking me yeah. for a ride. I'm like, is it to the airport? To he's, the a young, he's a young fan that'll he, roll around. Exactly. <laughs> Meanwhile, yeah. he shows up to the studio because I tell him where the studio is and he knocks on the door. I'm like, oh, he's here. So he doesn't really need a ride. And then he comes in, he's like, take, starts taking the symbol off of the stand and he meant a ride symbol <laughs> he never said symbol and so the whole time I'm like i'm like yeah whatever you mean man but uh i don't know my car uh and he never like he never like corrected me you know what i mean <laughs> i need a ride that's funny anyway um we got a lot of stories i got my man adam deitch on the podcast today and uh i don't know if there's another person that i've had as many musical experiences good most i mean 99 percent good some hilarious yeah. uh <laughs> you know some crazy uh i mean we could probably do 10 podcasts with the amount of stories uh but anyway it's and a pleasure just, we could do 10 podcasts on just what we've done live and 10 on us in the studio oh like, yeah there's been so many studio for some reason, I don't know why I'm jumping to this, but I remember standing outside of the Mercury Lounge on, uh, was that Delancey or on Bowery or whatever that is, and what someone ran over your snare drum. Me yeah, and Adam man. are out there, and we're after like, lettuce show. after Lettuce gig, we're, lo- we're loading our stuff out, and for some reason, like this car comes barreling down houston it was on houston and through a crowd of people basically but i in some ways i always like accredited your snare drum to like saving lives though because it hit the snare it didn't it like did it crush your snare drum it crushed my entire my entire drum set got mangled this car was on the sidewalk tinted windows black car no license plate so it was like some mafia shit and it came on the sidewalk, hit two girls. They flew over the top uh-huh. and then r- ran into my drum set, crushed it. That's right. In it pieces. was a drum set. Yeah. But I, I had to jump out of the way like this. 
Yeah. I just I jumped back into the into the door of the club. Just missed it. I'm thankful to be alive. Wow. And the car, the car drove off the sidewalk into the street, wrong side of the street, and sped away 100 miles an hour. Never, never saw it again. Yeah. I actually still, I think just on that same tip, I think I owe you some symbols because one time I was in a cab and you had left the symbols in the cab. I got, the cab got hit by an armored truck and I still, you probably still don't believe me to this day because it's the most, the weirdest story. But you called me, you were like, yo, my symbols are in the back. Grab them when you get home because we had shared a cab. And on the way home, an armored truck literally hit the cab and I jumped out of the cab and just started running. To get That's another cab. And uh, I remember the next day you were like, what happened to my symbols? I'm like, oh, shit, your symbols are in there. I was like, oh, man, but an armored truck hit the cab. You're like, yeah, right. <laughs> I swear to God to this day that did happen. I remember we moved into the 45th Street studio or whatever, the 40th Street studio, and there was symbols there. There was like a stack right. of old so- weird messed up symbols, and we used them on everything. Right, right. And they disappeared. Like so, so that made up for it. Yeah, karma. the karma always evens itself out, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that I try to explain to people about you and about your family, um, those of you that don't know, Adam's parents are both drummers, both exceptional musicians. And uh, thank you. visiting your house as a kid changed my entire life. I just remember coming to your house for dinner and uh, for the first time. And this is me as a, as a teenager. And, of course, I love my family and love my parents. And a lot of music in my house. But yeah. to come over to your house and your parents are, like, playing <laughs> Earth, Wind & Fire, Tower of Power, James Brown. Your mom's, like, dancing, cooking. Your dad's, like, drumming on my head and, and singing <laughs> the horn parts. And, and then we, like, have this great dinner we go downstairs and start jamming. Um, mm-hmm. And I always try to explain to people how amazing your family is. And uh, just uh, that, man. so I, I guess give us a little bit of insight. If you can remember like your earliest days, you know, coming up around your parents. I mean, you started drumming at what? As soon as you could hold sticks, basically, right? Yeah, I started when I was like two. We had this room in the house called the Blue Room. Right. Okay. And um, it had all the instruments in it. You know, it was like it was my playground, and um, my dad always had me in the blue room. You know, and there was, you know, back then it was like reel-to-reel tape machines and uh, <clears throat> different kind of keyboards like Rhodes's and Wurlitzer's and maybe some early drum machines and synths. And my dad was like always into like technology and synths and sequencers. Yeah. So like, you know, and there was, of course, drums was the number one thing, you know, and that was my, my playroom. And, and to this day, you know, if you look around this room, <laughs> that's, that's exactly, you know, what, you know, what I consider, you know, my safe place, like what, where I could create. And, and, and um, for the first time in my life out here in Colorado, I have a space like this where I have two drum sets set up, you know, and I have some keyboards and my laptop. It's not like state of the art at all, you know, but it sounds good in here and I can do what I need to do. And, um, yeah, like my parents were just, you know, really into the music thing. My mom is a really great funk drummer and super pocket. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, like she has her like two fills that she does, you know, but she sounds incredible. And uh, I grew up watching her play because my dad was the keyboard player. He loved her so much that he wanted to start a band with her even before he could play keyboards. He played keyboards like us, like a yeah, little yeah, bit, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And for those that don't know, Kraz is a good, really good keyboard player, like, you know, and, but he had to learn to play in every key. He had to learn to, like, you know, all these tunes that he didn't wow. know, you know? And he was fumbling his way through it with left hand bass and trying to take solos. And my mom was just back there grooving. So, right. you know, I, I grew up really seeing my mom play, you know? But uh, dad would play in the house and he would just, like, burn some Billy Cobham. Or, he sounds yeah. like Mike Clark and Billy Cobham, like that era of 70s drummers where you just, you grew up playing jazz, but now you're playing funk, but you're in the middle. And like, you know, it's kind of like right there, that sweet spot between jazz and funk, 1973. And also your dad's a great teacher, um, which I'm sure helped in your learning development. I know that my one drum lesson I've ever had is from your dad. And I've got mm -hmm. like my two or three fills and, maybe four or five beats that I remember from that day. And that's like all I can play. Um, yeah. But he had just such a great sense for what you needed as, as a musician. Um, and uh, I know that now you're, you've been teaching some and, you know, I've a lot of our crew in this moment in time um, where the world's in this crazy place right now, um, we're finding the silver <clears throat> lining where we can. And one of those things is teaching um, yeah. and I know that, uh, you probably, you know, take a few pages out of your dad's book when it comes to that. Right. Yeah. I mean, my parents are both, you know, had their masters in teaching right. and, uh, my mom has her master's plus like almost a doctorate childhood education, childhood psychology, you know what I mean? So teaching is something that they, you know, they were going to college while, I was still, you know, they were getting their masters while I was in high school and, and I was like learning with them. You know, they were like trying things and, and telling me about psychological things and, you know, and, and music. And my dad teaches, you know, was studying classical composition and 12 tone composition. And, you know, there's a guy that loves jazz and funk and he was like going full on into, into classical and having to write these pieces. And I was asking him questions. So they became teachers when, you know, they were still playing gigs in the era where people were like, smoking cigarettes in the club and my mom was like, I can't be, you right, know, like, right, right. you know, out doing this, you know, it's too crazy. So she wanted to teach and she got her to teach and she became like an amazing teacher. She taught for 30 years, kindergarten through fifth grade. She, she's a good talent scout. Right. Uh, they're both really good. They know if, you know, if someone claps and, and they yeah. have rhythm, you know, and they're clapping on two and four, they're like, you got it. You know, they know. Right. And then from that point, you know, by installing that little bit of confidence in a kid that may or may not even know they have it, it, right. you know, so they're good at finding that, like, you know, like Jedi's finding young Jedi's like, you know, and they, they, they feel that way about all my, all my friends, you know, like yeah. everyone that I br brought to the house, you and Jeff Basker and Schmeens and like, they, they knew it. They were like, these are the guys you got to be around. You know, I remember coming out of the basement too. And your dad always had like some multi-track recording situation was like making songs and, and making arrangements. And you were one of the first guys I knew that did that too. I was messing around with samplers and trying to figure out loops and make baking beats. And you are already were like a wizard with the ASR 10 and then eventually the Triton. And well, before uh, the ASR 10 was uh, this keyboard called the 
uh, and Sonic ESQ-1. I know, I know it, yeah, yeah. And uh, the, the ESQ-1 had a sequencer. Right, and, right. And I had never had a sequencer. My dad was using it for gigs, you know? Like, yeah. but and but but when it, when they were off the gig, that thing went to my room, you right. know, and it, and I made all these like kind of eighties funky like fusion funk things on it. Right. I never got anything off of it. I had a it was filled with <laughs> well that you know? we could do a whole series of podcasts <laughs> on that. The fact can I I'm just gonna fast forward one thing that Adam and I you know produced a lot of music together in the studio and one of. Our biggest challenges, you know, this is before you could open up a computer and all your sounds are on your computer and everything's saved. Uh, those of you that don't know what a sequencer is, this is a keyboard where you can make tracks and multi-track and you can bang out drums and bass lines and horns and keyboards. A lot of the lettuce music that you hear is born on, on that machine. Uh, that machine has evolved now into our computers. But when, yeah. we, he, when Adam and I started, it was... ASR10, the Triton keyboard. We had a lot. We, we we messed around with the motif. We messed around. I had an MPC for years, and we used to always have like some contraption of like plugging one thing into another thing and counting off, and one person press and play while someone else presses play on something else and record something else, just to multi-track these beats so you could hear all of these instruments uh, on their own. And I just remember so many times like we'd work on a beat for like two days and samples, and someone would turn kick a chord it out and we'd lose everything <laughs> i remember one time we were working on something with duele that say and someone i was like walking out the door to go get zip disks these are these disks where you would save that our beats and our samples and some guy maintenance guy walked in the door shut the power off so he could fix something and shut it back on and i i literally was crying <laughs> and i walked outside and he was like what and i was like you have no idea what you do you have no idea <laughs> luckily nowadays like we all have shit on our computers backups and, 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 and backups yeah. and and it's all become uh, a bit easier but anyway yeah but i owe you i owe you for for getting me off of only composing on keyboards and actually getting to uh, use computers as a musical tool. Well, the I thing fought was that, that I would... fought that for a while, and you were, one day you tried like ten times, but like yeah. finally the tenth time you were like, "Sit down." You know, Kraz is the best teacher. Like, you know, he knows so many stuff. You know, so many like technological things that a lot of people don't know, and, and he's always been ahead of the game with that. Kind of like my dad. Like, there, you know, you guys have that calm demeanor. Where it's like. Oh, it's a new piece of technology. Let's take our time and figure this thing out. Yeah, you know, or yeah. I kind of like, you know, I'm like my mom where I, my blood starts to boil and yeah, I start yeah. to get like nervous and, and, and angry at, at the thing because it's not intuitive. You know, and, I remember, you know, then, oh no, then I then remember when we sat down and I made you learn Pro Tools because we kept losing. It was became yeah. this thing where we were had to get beats done and, and rappers and singers would be coming through and I, we would be, I would just, I was like, listen, man, you got to work in Pro Tools. That's where I work. That's where we can keep yeah. it flowing. And you sat down and I think we took notes. We took, we had, you had a note. <laughs> oh, we, I def, I have, I have to write shit down. I'm, yeah, I'm like, yeah. you know, my, my mom is like that too. Like if we don't write it down, it's just like this. But I remember at the time we had, this, <laughs> this, we had a studio and we used to share this room and sometimes I'd be in one room and it'd be other room and I'd hear you like, go shit <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and i'd peek in and i'd be like i'd wait till you like boil you know like simmer down and then i'd be like okay here's what you gotta do you gotta unplug this and then the midi cable has to go yeah. into that and that launches yeah. this but yeah that's yeah. all become quite a bit easier 
You got to turn the Avalon preamp on. Remember the Avalon preamp? You uh, know, yeah, yeah, the preamp. Make sure everything was working. Yeah, it was like, took me a minute. As soon as I learned Pro Tools and felt confident in it, you were done with Pro Tools and you were on Ableton. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, then Ableton <laughs> came out and I was like, Ableton blows everything away. And I've been trying to convince, then I've been trying to convince you of that ever since then. Too. I know. Uh, that, maybe in a few years. Yeah. But I will say that you were able to do things. I remember things with just the Triton. And, I, you know, maybe it was that you were given some bit of limitation, but you did things with the Triton that I still don't understand at all. Like you would take, uh, you would take the Triton to places that I don't think anyone, I didn't even know it had a sampler and you were sampling things. and Nobody used them the Triton for a sampler. No, yeah. Nobody, nobody used a sampler in it. It was like, it doesn't even, it samples like, I don't even know what the rate it samples, but it's weird and it's thin. Yeah. It's not like that beautiful, warm NPC or like, yeah, yeah. You know that that hip hop automatic hip hop. It just makes it sound like a piece of paper version of of the record. You know, like. But you and I would just amazing, and I like that happen. because you know, I would like you know have the drums and the bass be like big, and then all the samples that I would use in little clips, and I'd set it all the way up on the keyboard, all the way up. So and I tune them each. So each sample was in the key of the tune, or like or one key. You know, I'm like you know from C to C, you have sample, 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 sample all in, in relation to the key of C. And then from the next C to C, you have them all in the tune F, right, you know, F. Right. And then so between all those and you have some drums over here, you have samples over here, it's like a really good creative flow that I still haven't done since then. That I, you know, having the full keyboard setup of all samples and drums. Well, next that's time like we get fun. together, I'm going to show you how to do that in Ableton because that's like a thing you can do in Ableton. That's why I love wow. Ableton so much is that you it, you can make it work like an old school sampler if you want it to. Right. But it was always is, like, Borm's always slow. It's like, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, it's like, it's never like, Dah! Well, you got to set know? it. You got to set it. So, yeah, a lot of the times when we were in the studio together, uh, it was all about setting up the kick and setting up. And I talked about that now in my lessons too, is like setting up the atmosphere. This goes to all instruments too. This goes like to all what instruments. is the kick? Yeah. yeah. And the kick uh, <laughs> is hard to explain, but like, for example, if I'm going to play on someone's track or something, I'm going to play all of the things that I might want to do. And then when I actually am going to, going to, you know, go in for the kick, I'm going to only choose the right things. You know what I mean? And it's about finding all the ways that you can kick over this track. And then setting up the kick, for example, is um, like Adam just described, setting up all your samples to sound good in that key. It's kind of the same thing. It's like when you're drumming, it's you like, got to like have it. Yeah. It's like having a, you're loaded, you're, you're locked and loaded yeah, when you yeah. have all those in front of you. Right. It's like, you know, the, the kick in music is like, if it's a James Brown song and there's five notes that are the kick, right. you know, there's the, the pentatonic root, third, four, five, minor seven, one, you know, yeah. root minor third. And if you have those, you know, that kick, you, you could play, you know, that's what you should play over James Brown and funk, you know, like right. that's the kick there, you know. And a lot of people ask me, oh, I want to spice up what I'm playing. I want to get outside of pentatonic. And I'm like, yes, that's crucial. But just know you can use the pentatonic exponentially like bb king used three notes and slayed the entire audience you know yeah. what i mean and so Mace, how, Mace Parker, Parker. Yeah. um yeah. 
what you do with those notes. And I think that goes back to even what you were saying about your mom. And one of the things that when you play, you will play a beat that five other drummer, great drummers will play. But when you play it, people feel it in a different way because that pocket is deeper. Um, and I think that's why people gravitate towards lettuce music is that I think everyone in that band whether they, whether it's and it's gotten better over time. Some, but some, you guys, you guys accentuate my pocket. My pocket was, you know, okay. And I met you guys, and you had this strong pocket. And Jesus has a super strong. And Shmeens yeah. has like the rock pocket. Of, yeah. Then Zoid's pocket is like a drummer. So everybody has drummer like pocket on their instruments. And y'all took my pocket, and and it just went boo like for, yeah. like being around you guys. And playing all everyone's pocket in one room, it's crazy, right. you know. Like, and I tell so people, it's, I, all, I, it's it's like yeah. it's kind of like a West African drum ensemble, but with notes, you know, because everyone's playing off of each other in this kind of pocket exactly. that works together. Yeah, exactly. It works like a like a percussion, like Cuban percussion, or you know, the bell part, the clave, the congas, the zambales, and how they all work together, and they're not doing. Everyone's not soloing all the time. They have these parts with little bits of improvisation within those parts, right. and that and that and that's what the style of music that I love, you know. And that goes to Brazilian music and and Indian music, and you know, like it's not it's not just funk, but there's this connection between all of that, and it's rhythm based music. You know what I mean? Right. Talk a little bit about the process of writing music for the band, because I know that. Uh, well, since you mentioned that, yeah, I have. Uh, an idea right here on my phone that's titled uh, Kras Vibe. <laughs> so I, I like to sing things into my uh, into my phone. With, you know, it could be a melody. It could be a bass line. It could be a drum beat. It could be anything. It's whatever, you know, inspiration has given you. You know what I mean? Right. Like, for instance, like... <laughs> It's like some it's like a nice like kind of Zeppelin y funky riff, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's like, man, I gotta I gotta get I gotta get this to Kraz, you know, like boom down a boom you know that's all could be a joint. So it's like once you have it there on your phone and it it lives, it's a thing, you know? Yeah. And you know, it's like uh it's in it's it's like a an embryo, right? So it's it's it lit it's it's out of your mind, which is like things are in the universe, and now it's an embryo and it's on your phone. Then you you have to give birth to the idea. Right. You know, and you have to bring it out of your phone onto your guitar, your your keyboard, whatever you're making it. And then that not then you raise the child by like mixing it and mastering it. You right. know what I mean? Right. And and also and bringing then, it to other musicians like, you know, when you bring it to the lettuce guys, they're obviously going to add their flavors. Oh yeah, I mean, and, yeah. Yeah, unless you're Stevie Wonder and doing everything yourself, right, right, or Louis Cato, like you know. Well, I mean, that's you, how you make beats too. A lot of people, you know, are the people that don't know. You know, you make a lot of music yourself, where you're layering everything. You're a great keyboard player. You play bass. You play guitar. So one of the things that adds to your 
writing ability is the ability to also, you know, play it out um, on different instruments and, and be able to kind of realize it yourself, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I tell all my drum students now, like, go buy the cheapest guitar you could find in the yeah. store. I use, I, with a crack in it, um, if it buzzes, like, whatever, 60 bucks, 50 bucks, go get it. Yeah. Put it in your house right now. You know, go get a bass. Go get any bass, a student bass. Right. You know what I mean? And just mess with it. And and when you start singing those bass lines, try to match your voice with the notes, you know? And and keep that rhythm that you have because you're a drummer, you know. Right, right. So like all all my ideas can get fleshed out enough so someone like you who plays bass and guitar can take that idea, you know, and go, let me throw some extra sauce on that, you know, with my sound and your right, right. your magic that you do, and and that and that's 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 how I like to write, you know. I I just hear all the parts. I can't play them, but I can get them down just enough so people like you can can bring him to life but one of the beautiful things about uh sharing a studio with adam deitch was i would come in and we we kind of have opposite hours so like i would be up kind of early and he'd be up late but we'd find four or five hours together and then he would be up all night and i would come in and listen to the tracks that you would make and i would just be blown away by the composition but also the way that you would get your ideas out because for example i would pick up a guitar one of my guitars and it would be tuned to the chord you wanted to play because <laughs> you were like i don't want to learn how to play these chords so you would actually like put your one finger down and yeah bar. Either you want to go like this or, or go like this you know right. like why wouldn't you want to just go like this it made know? perfect sense but i would pick up my guitars and i'd be like wow it's tuned to like an e9 like you know the funk chord and you just be like ching, ching, yeah. ing, ing. and then i then i would be yeah, like bar, why did he do yeah. that and then i'd play, play the track and he'd be like ching, 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 it. and i'd be like oh that's fucking right. killing and uh, it's some chord that you would normally have to stretch yeah, for it yeah. made perfect sense it was just funny because yeah. you didn't necessarily like I always get tripped up on like, oh, if I could do that, I'll just get someone else to do that. I don't think necessarily tune everything to to uh, a different <laughs> tuning, you know. But it makes sense. It makes sense. But if you're not if you're not a guitar player and you don't have, you never learned your scales and know where everything is, and now you have a guitar and you're trying to write, yeah, yeah, do like tune away. Best. I mean, I do that when I guess I'm doing wrong. <laughs> I'd also come back and the strings be broken a lot of the time. And I remember giving you a, a bass, or I think it was a bass that it was like laying around and you never put the, they had two strings on it for like 12 years. I was like, you never, he was like, oh, I just need those two strings. I'm cool. Uh, but you made great shit with it. I mean, I do it with drums now since you're not here. I'll like just play a hi-hat track and then put kick and snare yeah. because I don't have the ability that you That's have. That's how they but, made Billie Jean. That's right. how, you know. Right. You know, the great Ndugu, Ndugu Chancellor played on it, but the, I've been hearing these stories of how, like, there was a kick drum, and he had a beater, and he went, boom, 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 you know, recorded that, yeah, and then yeah. he went to the snare, you know, yeah. and like did it like one at a time, you know. That's so that he did do that, because I've literally been thinking I'm the only one. So recently, 
I because my foot, I do that. I do that now, and I play drums. If you know, if you want a tight snare sound, like yeah. you don't want room and hi hat in the mix, like do each drum individually. It yeah, yeah. Great. Well, what I've been doing is I got an SPDX, or I'll play and I'll just do the kick because I'm so much better at doing the kick drum with my with a stick with my hand because my foot yeah. sucks. But everything else I can kind of do okay. So I've been doing that that mixture. Um, nice. But again, that whole concept of like not letting anything limit you. Um, and especially now that we have the ability and the technology, um, there's so much that we can do on our own. So I want to I want to rewind just a little bit because you know you and I have known each other since high school, um, and when I first met Adam, he was showing me Tower of Power, Earth, Wind, and Fire. These were things that I dabbled with, but you know I was a kid that came from the Stones and the Grateful Dead, and um, I was like deep into this uh, other music. But I had been introduced to Herbie Hancock, James Brown was what changed my whole world up, you know? And I was like, okay, wait, the funk. Cause I remember hearing fish and seeing all these people every time they would get to a funk section, right? The kids would go wild. And I remember being like, oh, if they could, if they had only heard James Brown's version of this, I was like, have these people heard that? And uh, so then, you know, I was starting to really get deeper into like Herbie and thrust and flood and that stuff. And when I met you, you kind of cracked my head open and and really got me into Earth, Wind, and Fire, Tower of Power, and I got deeper into other realms of funk music. Um, but when yeah, Earth, we, Wind, and Fire, you know, is the greatest. Yeah. You know, like they 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 represent African music. You know, like they always had kalimbas. Right, right. Like like they would open up their records like that, and it would, like you'd be like in this dream state. Right. You know, Maurice White, you know, rest in peace. Like, you know, he's kind of like my my biggest influence in life. You know, he's a drummer. He's a songwriter. Yeah. He started the band Earth, Wind & Fire. He kept it together over the years. They did amazing things. And, and that that's, I basically am trying to pattern my life after him, you know, but right. that's why I have a, a Kalimba collection. Right, right. That's crucial. But one of the things that I think are specific um, recipe for lettuce, you know, was like that you had like me and Schmeens had checked out fish in the dead and more, more so their fan base and their kind of philosophy. And, and you were bringing this like funk and like pocket that was on another level and other concepts, you know? And then when we got together, that combination, I remember sitting in, those jam rooms at Berkeley and we were trying to like reach that moment. And I used to always be like, we're going to start down here and we're going to build it up to this. And like, but groove was always at the center of that. Um, well, yeah. Well, you, you brought that to us cause we, we didn't understand nine minute songs, 10, 15 right. minute jams. 
we thought you 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 know you call a tune like Chameleon, for instance, and you go boom, guns, guns, you play the melody, you take a short solo, and that's it. Go back to the melody, and the song's over. Like you were like, wait, guys, like let's keep that going. Let's right. make up a new riff, boom, and all of a sudden we're like. What's going on? Like, it's a new thing. And then you and Jesus would lock it on something and Shemines would play a new thing. And, and like, we would have these 20 minute, half an hour things yeah. that you were familiar with from the jam scene or whatever that was. Not to say like, you know, Miles didn't play hour long sets of totally. one totally. continuous, you know, Miles doesn't get the the enough props for, for being a live improviser and, and like jamming out for hours. Like he, he did that. Like, yeah. You know, that's you know the Grateful Dead knew about that. Like you know, I mean, the Grateful were, Dead will tell you right now they were trying to emulate that. They were giving. There were own, shows that they were yeah. both on the same show. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, you know. I mean, they were taking just a different different angle because you know, they were taking like Americana and they were like these. They had. Yeah. They were trying to do these. You know, I mean, they came from bluegrass and like from a different songwriting perspective. But you know, yeah. I think it was more like the philosophy. And I always, for me, it was also just going to see those shows. That it was about that community and how they were excited to see the band take chances. That was Mm. the difference for me. It was like it wasn't necessarily about the music per se, um, because I was, I felt, I didn't listen, I didn't like listen to the dead and fish at that point that much. I was listening to, to, you know, Herbie and Benson and like all that type of stuff. But to me, I always thought that if you infused, those things together there was a fan base out there right you, know right. I mean? you always believed that we could play the music that we love and have a community like fish in the dead right right and that that, that was like your vision from the get-go like this could exist these two things could exist you know and to me that was like it just didn't even seem possible like that's when we were 17 18 years old like, right. like I, I was like how are the people that like this bluegrassy, jammy, like, you know, coming from Americana, coming from rock and roll kind of thing, going to embrace, you know, this music that that we listen to, like this Herbie, this this funk, this Tower Power, the, you know. I just didn't understand how it would be possible. And you were like, watch, you'll see. You were always so confident about it, you well, know? Well, it just, it's because I would go to those shows and when they would drop into something that that was like that the crowd would go nuts it was like their favorite part of the show and meanwhile mm-hmm. you have to also you know remember that the dead were were bringing the neville brothers on the road and like fish's favorite you know stuff you know, a lot of those guys listen to that new orleans music they listen to funk mm-hmm. i mean um yeah it's you know they have their own flavor of what they do, but when but that's there's an influence in there. It's not as straight up funk like what we do. I mean, yeah, funk. I mean, you know, they were going to see, you know, Deb was going to see Coltrane, and they were taking acid and watching Coltrane and and, right. and Elvin Jones and Jimmy Garrison and McCoy Tyner. Like, you know, they were going to these shows. They were going to see the Meters. They were right. going, you know, like so. It's kind of like your favorite, you know, musicians' favorite music. Yeah, that's what funk is. You know, like. Like, you know, all those, you know, for all the deadheads and fishheads watching, you know, like, like, you know, check out some of that Jerry funk with uh, Gaylord Birch on drums. Like, you know, he played with a lot of, you know, Jerry Garcia band played with some really funky cats from like the, the East Bay area, right. Oakland stuff, you know. So, you know, 
it, it's more of a marriage than people think it is. And sure. it's not as separate as I thought it was as a teenager or a young tw- in my twenties. You know, I was like, you know, at first I thought it was like, you know, war- cause the high school kids that were into fish when I was growing up, they were also the hockey team and they were mean, mean <laughs> bastards. <laughs> you had a bad and, version uh, maybe. So yeah. So like they were like one, they were doing like drugs. I weren't into two. They, they were mean and they, they used to like, you know, I used to get attacked by these kids, right, you know, right. and earlier in like seventh, eighth grade. And now all of a sudden they're like going to fish shows, you know? Right. And I was like, so I associated like the band and the scene with those kids, you know, which was like a mistake. Cause like, you know, obviously there's like people like Josh Raskin and, you know, like wonderful human beings that yeah. are, are a part of the Grateful Dead community and fish community. You know what I mean? Like, but I just had it, I, you know, I had a different perspective on it. Like the kids that used to beat me up and terrorize my life. <laughs> That's horrible. We're now the fish heads, you right, know, like, right. and now they're, they're lettuce fans and they come to the shows and like, I'm like, yeah, what's up, man? Ah, shit. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I think one of the interesting things about the current time too, is that, um, you know, like you and I both played with pretty lights. I mean, pretty lights fans. I mean, that music is way closer to hip hop than than EDM or even jam or whatever, but it's just music. It's got, it's got everything. It's got everything. I think now like genres have been so crossed so many times over that like the jam scene or whatever you want to call it is really just a, a community that supports live music, like really intense. I don't even think genre matters anymore. I think it's like, I mean, they're listening to food. They're listening to hip hop. They're listening to, um, Grateful Dead. I mean, the fact, like for example, uh, Bowl Live or, or like some of the lettuce residencies that we've done. I mean, we're rocking with Quali and Farrell Monch and Schofield and Nick Payton. I mean, it's jazz guys. It's Warren Haynes. I mean, we're all over the map, and it's the same people at at those shows. You know, there those people are like like me and you. Like we're open to most types of music. Of course, we're funk heads at the core. But you know, I listen to everything. Um, Music at a high level it is is undeniable, right? Whether it's you know, it doesn't matter what it is, you know. And if it's done at a high level, I want to see it, right. you know, right. and I want to be a part of it. And uh, someone that's completely dedicated to their craft, you know, like you know, I, I'm into it as long as the person has put the time in and and really worked on 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 their their concept. Right, right. Um, I also want to go back to a moment in time that uh, in your development, you were, I think, 18 years old and got a call to go play with one of the bands that's on our list uh, as one of our in- main One of the bands that we were covering. Yes. You know, we were covering them, yes. We were covering in fact, them. we'd recorded covers. Remember, we did Person yes. to Person. Person to Person with so Peter Prince. Shout Adam, Peter at Prince. 18 years old, gets called to go play with Average White Band. And, of course, we're all losing it. For those that don't know, Average yeah. White Band is a funk band from the 70s, from Scotland, that really uh, like shocked the world because they were like the first legit R&B funk band of... like. European dudes, white dudes, you know, and, um, they got signed to Atlantic records with Aretha and they got to hang out with Aretha and all the great soul artists of that era. And they were accepted in, and, um, 
they were a huge part of soul music history. You can't write them out. Their their crowds were all African American, you know, like and I was going out and playing in front of these crowds, you know, and it was an eye opener and it totally changed my life. So go ahead. Just Well, I mean that that's really what I was getting to. I and also the fact is that you ended up touring with Tower of Power. So here's mm. two bands that uh we idolized and all of a sudden my friend is in one of those bands and i just remember going with you i mean you know and we're kids i mean we couldn't mm. even get into a bar at that point and uh for just, those that don't know crass crass has always been one about speaking things into existence you know you're a big advocate of you know what you put out there what will happen to you you know if you're worrying all the time and you're complaining all the time you're yeah. gonna attract more of that the law of attraction really yeah. does exist yeah and um you know the proof is in the pudding and like so I, I i attribute all those things to like touring with not just you know not just opening for earth and fire opening for the ohio players Crazy. opening up for shaka khan Crazy. opening up for earth and fire tours with earth and fire yeah. like you know, introducing my parents to Earthwind and Fire, like on average white band. So, like, so this is all, you know, it's about speaking things into existence and, and attracting them to you. And you've always, you've taught me that. You definitely have been, you know. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say that. Advocate. I would also say that those things happening to you, because that was the, I mean, I, watching that happen to you <laughs> proved, proved that theory right. Um, <laughs> So, and then, you know, and then with Soul Live, you know, we had a lot of those moments too. I remember being, you know, my idol was John Schofield. My favorite mm -hmm. album was a go-go. And yeah. next thing you know, I remember like using that as a map. I was like, well, if we do this, that, and the other, who knows, we'll play with Schofield or maybe we'll be on Blue yeah. Note Records. How, do, how you did know? you connect, you like manager, Jeff called Susan or something? No, or? Schofield was playing a festival that was an outdoor thing in, uh, like right by the Middle East in Cambridge in yeah. Boston. And he walked around the side of the stage and all of a sudden he's staring right at me and watches our, I didn't even know he was, I mean, I must've known he was playing, but I did not know he was going to be standing there. And he, he stood actually right, checked you guys out. That's yeah. amazing. He checked us out. And then we were doing like an after show, I think later that night and we invited him and he sat in. Um, and so, you, like you, you met him after the show. You're yeah, like, I met hey, him after the show, and I'm, le I'm, le you know, obviously yeah. his biggest yeah. fan at that point. And uh, yeah. he loved the band. He loved Neil, and just because he had just vibe. played with Nesky Martin and Wood, so he yeah. was hip to like the new funky trio thing happening. You know, right, like, right. And the go, -go you guys, you guys time. happened like maybe five years after Nesky Martin and Wood started. Probably right? like since that. they started, but only a year or so after a go go. Like a go go was still yeah. like hot. That album, when, yeah. When Shout out started. to Vanessa Martin and Wood for oh, giving man. us all hope, yeah, to like play funky music for, in this scene, yeah. You know, it, you know, so like they gave us, you know, definitely uh, the fuel. Them and Grey Boy All Stars for sure uh, gave us a lot of fuel for as far as like dudes clawing and fighting their way through a lot of like other kind of music and getting funky and jazzy stuff and soul music out to the people. You know, one hundred percent. Um, and improv and a lot of improvisation for sure. For sure. So I, we got to know, I got to know John Schofield pretty well over that couple years he played on, I mean, actually it was probably only about six months later, um, that he played on the soul live album. And then mm -hmm. lettuce was doing a residency at the wetlands. Shout out to Pete Shapiro and the wetlands. 
um, for opening the doors for <laughs> a lot of us. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, Lettuce was doing a residency. Schofield uh, was a guest on that. And I remember telling him about you. And as some people that are listening to this, you'll hear that in the Schofield podcast uh that he started we told this story and Deitch calls in the middle of the uh the uh podcast which was which was classic talk about just add it to like the it's like the 150th psychic moment we've had exactly you know? um but you know john heard adam called me the next day and you know and, and at that point lettuce was very much a side project uh everyone was busy doing different things so live was on the road and, and sco called me and he said, "Hey man, what's up with Adam?" I'm like, he, "He's, you know, that's my boy." And he, he's he in the like, average white band, and he's yeah. ready. He's ready for a change. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And I called you, and you were like, "Yes, absolutely, give him my number." And then the Uber Jam band was born, which was yet another kind of like legendary uh, group that you were a part of, and uh, you guys toured and made a couple records, right? Three, three records. Mm-hmm. Um, Talk a little bit about like how Schofield inspired you as a writer and as a band leader. I mean, he's hilarious, man. Yeah, <laughs> he's like right. one of the funniest people ever. Like being around him was so fun, you know. Like for all the yeah, all the because he does that thing in Europe where like you play a gig, you wake up at five in the morning, you're in the lobby by six, you're out, you're you're at the airport by seven. You know what I mean? So every day, I, you know, we were playing a gig. I would go out and try to see Europe and try to enjoy myself a little bit and have two hours of sleep. And every day I'd be so tired in the airport and he would just have these funny stories, man. Like he's just like, he his anecdotes. He knows everybody. He knows things about all these musicians and funny things that happened. And so first of all, as far as his person, you know, everyone, you know, you're intimidated by him because he, all he's done, but when you meet him, he knocks that out of the way. And he's like, I'm just John, man. Like, and he's the coolest yeah. dude, you know? And he, and he's like been around so many kinds of people and he's a worldly, worldly dude, you know? And he's always reading books and he's always learning stuff and he's always practicing. He takes sound checks so seriously as like, as far as an improvisational writing thing, you know, like let's, let's write. Like every song we wrote was sound check, right. you know? like a jam that, and and he would like, you know, he would barely even just, he would have a little bit of a vibe or a little bit of a baseline or a little something. And we'd let us create, you know, so he's a great band leader. Like he yeah. allows people to grow. Like I, it's cliche to say that, but he's like the best band leader, you yeah. know? And, I agree. Um, I agree. And he's yeah. one of those people that evolves consistently. I mean, he's been around, he's been doing it for over 40 years and he's still evolving and pushing himself. Um, you know, every yeah. album he makes is different. He changes up the concept. He's always writing. He's always yeah, pushing his body himself. of work is is it's mad insane. inspirational. It's insane. Yeah, his body of work is is crazy inspirational. He's got a stack of records. You know, yeah, a, that's all. Say John Schofield on him. Then he has another bigger stack with everything he's played on. Right, right. You know. So that to me is gangster. That to me is what I look up to. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I want to play on records every day. Like yeah. anyone out there watching, if you're making quality music and you need a drummer, you need a drum track, <laughs> I got everything set up over here. Yeah. I got two kits. You know, I got yeah, the yeah. old school kit and I got the new school 
trappy modern kit. Yeah, so yeah. I just want to play on records, man. I want I want you know that that's what I consider being rich yeah. is when when all is said and done, you have a stack of records that you're like, this is my legacy. Right. You know what I mean? Well, speaking of that, the last Lettuce album, Elevate, nominated for a Grammy. Congratulations, by the way, on that. Thank you, man. Um, I mean, what was that like to hear that to hear that news? I mean, after all the work and all the years put in, it had to feel good. The Grammys in my family are like for other families are like the Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, you know, we make it an it's an event. Right. You know, my house. My my mom, we we all get on the couch, we all watch together and we like completely obsessed with it. You know, like so yeah. Since I was two years old, the Grammys every year is like a major thing we do in, in my house. Right, right. So um, a lot of people are like, yeah, awards, whatever, you know. But, you know, Quincy Jones has like 27 Grammys or something like that. He is uh, one of my first idols in life and role models. So, you know, we got the, the when we were told by our management, um, shout out to Ivory Daniels, that, um, we're being considered uh, being nominated. We get this, you get this notification yeah. and you get this little thing you could post that we're for consideration, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And, and that to me was like winning being considered to be nominated <laughs> felt like a win. I was like floating, man. Cause my, my parents just lost it that, you know, like, you know, for all the trouble I put them through when I was skateboarding and acting yeah. crazy and making beats for like, you know, some wild kids in my hometown, you know, they were a little nervous, I'm sure, you know, so the Grammy thing kind of like really made them feel like they, they did the right thing. You know what I mean? And it made me feel like I was on the right path. Like there were times where like, let us, you know, you don't know. And you don't know if that that's going to be your life's work, you know? So this kind of gave me a, a boost of just like, yes, like I want to play with these guys the rest of my life, you know? And, And like, we're doing the right thing, you know, and, and, and we're still friends and we're still homies. You know what I mean? So it just solidified everything, you know, it took yeah, away I mean, all the doubt. It's also just a testament that, you know, to the hard work that's been put in and, um, yeah, I mean, we, we put in hard work no matter what we do. Like, you know, I put in hard work with average white band. I put in yeah. hard work with Wyclef three years at Wyclef and yeah. doing all the Fuji stuff and Jerry wonder, you know, and, <laughs> And then, like, hard work in New York with break science and, like, trying to get break science out there. Shout out to Borum. If you haven't heard my electronic group, break science, it's a whole other thing. Um, you know, so you put in hard work regardless. But when you put your hard work into one thing that is your business and your – like, you did this with Soul Live, And that's why Soul Live is legendary. You know what I mean? And, like, you can't talk about live improvisational soul music – without mentioning you guys in the history, in the history of music, you know what I mean? And um, you put a lot of time in. So I, I felt like I hadn't really put time into Lettuce enough for me to be like, yes, I, I really worked hard on this. Like, it was just like we were playing five, six, ten times a year, you right, know? Right. And the rest of the year I was doing other things and producing with you and doing yeah. that and doing this. So I was just like, what if, you know, yeah. what if I put time into Lettuce, you know? And yeah. And it just, it started to work and like then Red Rocks happened and, you know, and then the EDM kids that loved, you know, or whatever, the, the electro soul kids of like Pretty Lights and Grammatic and Grizz, they, they started hearing Lettuce. They're like, 
that they're not your typical jam band, you right. know, like, because right. a lot, you know, nowadays you ask 18 year old what kind of music, they're like both kinds. I like EDM <laughs> and, and jam, right. You know, that's the two kinds of music that they think exist, jam or EDM. You know, and a lot of times they're so, together. You know, a lot of times that's the same, the same fan going to both both things. And lettuce does a you know you find that cross section with lettuce, and I definitely saw a huge surge of fans post mm-hmm. uh, Pretty Lights and post Break Science. Yeah, you have you have a lot of fans for the Pretty Lights thing. You were yeah. you were a, a part of a really dope era. Yeah, you know, and like. Those, those, you know, the records we made with him and the videos of the shows that we played. Yeah. Like the production, the level that he was on that. It's like incredible. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I you think know. back about that and I do, you know, I've always thought Derek was a genius. I mean, there's a lot of things about Derek. Two that, Derek's. Two Derek's. Yeah. It was funny that the same summer <laughs> I was touring with Derek Trucks. And Derek, pretty lights. And there was actually a couple of times where I told you this, but where I'd have text conversations with one, and you didn't not know realizing, and I, it would be kind of the same conversation anyway. I'm like, oh, that answer kind of worked for either, um, mm-hmm. but obviously two very different <laughs> crowds, but uh, two geniuses though in what they do. But I, man, I remember specifically this. There was the Telluride show, um, and where we kind of that show i think it was the second night or whatever but you know the pretty lights live band for you guys that don't know we we really blended you know electronic and a full live band and and at red rocks we had strings but this particular show in telluride was kind of after we had hit a certain stride where all of a sudden we were full band improvising but also with Pretty lights and Derek and with, tracks. with tracks. So the yeah, tracks so that, would that come had never in. really been done like like that. I'm sorry, like not with look, full improv like that. Yeah, not, I, not like that, and not where you like the track ends and there may be one little bit of synth going and there and we're playing to a click track, but we're all trying to create in this like electronic futuristic style. So it's not like uh, we're playing all our hot jazz funk licks over it. It's like yeah. we're focused on like that future electronic hip-hop thing and we're trying to create from there yeah and like what what's allowed in that spectrum like okay like some surf guitar like you know like you know western guitar sounds and wu-tang sounding guitar sounds and like hip-hop drums and like it was just a an era you know i had done it with break science like before i had heard of breaks before i heard of pre-lights but only with another person i'd never done like full band with tracks you know, end production. It's like, but the, the so next level yeah. of the whole thing that happened in Telluride too, to me was also, you've got lasers and lights and I'm, I'm in like a spaceship basically. And there's la- things all happening around me. We're communicating grass mountain. grass mountain. We called it. And there's, I had to like get boosted up on a crane, you know, but there was, there was like <laughs> this communication happening between us, which a lot of people don't know. We had, we all had our own microphones and we all had head pieces or, or you know, ear in ears. We we're talking to each other and, and that ev- initially was to go from track to track. And as it evolved, where it started being like, okay, no more set list. 
uh, here comes this hi-hat Deitch, play this type of groove. Kraz, come in with a mi- with a chord, and I'd be like, okay, guys, it's C-sharp minor, because he wouldn't know the chord. And then yeah. like, and then all, the, and we would all communicate in this way, and it um, it came together in this way for that show, where this, our sound guy, shout out to Phil, shout out to Laser Shark, Greg. Shout out the, to Derek, shout and, out to Derek. I mean, shout for, out to Derek for assembling yeah. this team. And I gotta say that when he'd be putting together these shows, I would think he was completely insane. I'd be like, you really need seven laser guys and four of this guy and then this huge yeah. product. But then it would happen and I would like bow down. I would be like, dude, now I understand, yeah. <laughs> you know, the genius and the balls that it takes to not only put yeah. together a production like that, but then in the middle of it, pull the plug <laughs> and say, no set list. We're just going to create yeah. right now. And that show, I, it came culminated and it's funny how that was also the end, kind of. That was the last. That was that, the last show. It was the. It, it was. It, it was like we hit that moment, and I remember after the show, I was like, either that's the end or the beginning. I. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it. I. I'm so proud of that show, and I, I remember watching it at some point, pieces of it. Um, but at yeah. some point, I want to go back and 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 see or listen. To that, but yeah, that was a cool. I, I'm proud yeah. to have been a part of that for sure. I mean, yeah, shout out to you know both Derek's again because yeah. like you know like when Derek Truck sat in with us at Bear Creek, he kind of like knighted us. You know, he sat. You yeah. know, sat. I know you had him sitting with Soul Life probably, but he had never sat. You know, that first time he sat in with Lettuce and we played uh, King of the Bergs. Oh yeah, yeah. And he, and he had that long intro. You know, yeah. If you got a chance, don't, anyone yeah. out there? Yeah, and he took this beautiful. <laughs> He took his time and like, and we were all excited, playing all quiet and like, and it slowly built up. Yeah. And it was like, you know, it oh, was one of those the moments. King of that. We we I yeah. spoke to him today actually for a while, yeah. and we talked and then, a lot about that. And to, and what you know, what Derek, you know, from Pretty Lights, what he did for, you know, Lettuce and Soul Live and 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 kind of introducing his, you know, legions of fans to what we do was really. Like we're really grateful for that, you know, for sure, and for, for sure. forever, homie for life, homie, you know, for sure, for and, sure. and and we gave our all, you know, to whatever he asked us of us, you know what I mean? Definitely. And there's a lot of unreleased music on those hard drives, man. All those sessions. Wanna, that oh Soul Live record. There's the Where's whole. That? There's a whole Soul Live record. Do you have the roughs of that? I do have the roughs, actually. Can you send that to me, please? I will send you those. Um, I'm going to get Derek on this podcast eventually, and I'm just going to ask him all these questions, right? Uh, <laughs> that's Derek, as in Pretty Lights. Um, also, all the the Malibu sessions that we all did together. Um, yeah. There's a lot of music. I mean, that there's only, I'd say, one-tenth of what we've recorded has seen the light of day, if that. Yeah. Um, there, the music's in this crazy place where it's like it's it's good enough to stand on its own, but it needs some like shaping and working, right? Yeah. But then it also could be sampled and make the illest beats of all time. So it's like it's hard to say what to do with and it. He, I think he's in that middle place of like, do I make beats out of this or do I just like kind of do a couple of edits and release it as is? Like, it's, right? Or well, with the soul live stuff, like, I think we just need to edit it. You know, but I know, and he's been, he's told me just do what you want with it. But at the same time, I think having his touch on it is kind of what makes it, um, because he needs to finish it with us. But man, there's some great music sitting on, on hard drives that, uh, someday we'll hear it. I, I hope we even videoed a lot of those sessions too, but, um, 
Yeah, hopefully, yeah. Uh, hopefully we'll hear it. But yeah, recording recording your music in that old school analog way, he reaffirmed a lot of our and you know shout out to Joel Hamilton as well. It was a big part of that. Like you know he reaffirmed our you know what oh, we always wanted to do sonically. Yeah, how to get things dirty but but amazing and round but mean you know like all those things that that we love about the old records like you know that he, he reaffirmed a lot of that for us for sure and yeah and taught us some techniques also for so. sure and uh for those of you that have not checked it out a color map of the sun is the album where we first initially linked up with Derek pretty lights adam and i and deitch is the one who actually mm -hmm. introduced me to him and then on the flip side, there's a whole collection of reels and they call like real break one, real break two. So if you're on Spotify and I think it's on Apple music, you can look up color map of the sun and type in reels. And there's like 18 tracks of just us playing to like two track tape. And mm. it's some of my favorite stuff we've ever recorded. There's like, ever, some, ever, there's some yeah. gems in there, um, that just sound so cool. Um, and it's like a cool little time capsule of like those few days that we were in Studio G um, with Joel Hamilton and totally. uh, and Derek. Um, well, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. I feel like we need to do part two eventually because um, there's yeah. like so much more to cover. But but meanwhile, like, what are you looking forward to right now? I know there's uh, a new another like kind of, I guess it's like volume two. Of led of is it actually volume two of Elevate or is it a whole different album? Because I know it happened. A lot of it, you guys kind of created two albums we, during one. We session. wrote, we, you know, I wrote thirty songs going into the first session with Russell Lovato. Yeah, the guys had written twenty other ones. Plus, we had like five improv joints. So we had a we were really prepared to go in the studio with Russ. You know. Yeah. So. We're thinking, you know, he's thinking we're going to go in there and record 10 tunes. We recorded 30. Right. You know, so Resonate is, you know, we picked what we wanted to be first for Ele Elevate. Yeah. And Resonate is from those same sessions. Ah, dope. And um, th that everything, you know, it flows like a set, like a live set. Right. You know, that's how Elevate, that's how Elevate flows. So it's a similar format. Except uh, resonates kind of like the Empire Strikes Back. It, for all you kids out there, there's a trilogy called Star Wars, and Empire Strikes <laughs> Back was the uh, the cool one, you know, like the one, yeah. I, the one, my favorite one of the trilogy. And um, uh, I love Return yeah, so, of the Jedi, though. Return of the Jedi is dope, you know. I, I yeah, I think I liked Return of the Jedi. I mean, I don't, I don't know, I love them all. I just felt like Empire Strikes Back was scary and dark yeah, yeah, and like, right. it was dark. You know, it kind of left the, you know, you weren't like, oh, this is so nice. You know, you were like nervous. You know, it was like intense. Yeah, you know? it was way darker. I guess I liked, uh, I guess as a kid, you loved the Ewoks. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so right. I was like, oh. And, and, but yeah, yeah. definitely too. But yeah, so, so Resonate is like, not to say it's like a dark album, but it's like, to me, it's my favorite. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, of this um, trilogy where, most likely going to release, you know? So, uh, dope. yeah, resonates dope. And I hope everyone gets to hear it. And, um, you know, we, we did a earth, wind and fire cover on there, um, called save the children. Oh yeah. Classic. That's, that nobody, nobody, a lot of people don't know that, that one. It's not like, uh, one of their hit songs, but, uh, yeah. Ni Nigel really sang his butt off on that. And, 
and uh, shout out to all the guys in the band and you know that have been grinding for years doing this and now we're all just teaching now we're all at home teaching Jesus right. has like 20 students Shemin's has great. 40 students and they're they're the best teachers because they're you know like you like they care like they they want you to to know what they know and like you know they've been teaching me for years and you know I've learned so much from all you guys you know so it's great to to have this new phase of teaching and and recording and I haven't been home in this long in 20 years right you know? I've I've been talking to a lot of musicians about this time and you know it's hard to I mean, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, there's no way we would ever willfully, um, you know, put this on anyone. And obviously the whole situation with COVID is horrible, but the silver lining in it is that, you know, we're all kind of slowing down, spending a little time on our craft, maybe spending a little time on our health, um, teaching, um, getting in the studio, getting to like the list of things that we may not have been able to get to for a while. Um, the so, collabs. Oh my God. The collaborators, like the yeah. things we've been talking about working with this person and they just flew out of the window. Cause yeah. I don't know if y'all know, but me and Kraz toured hard. Like, yes. like it's, it's, it's hard to keep anything going studio wise and recording when you tour as hard as we do, you yeah. know? And, you know, Kraz took the lead on like slowing that down in the past couple of years where I just kept going, like, you know, it's just totally different ways, but you know, it, it's a, it's a blessing for us to, to just to be home for this amount of time, you right, know? Right. And, uh, and to be in a, have a, a way to record and a way to do podcasts and a way to, you know, kind of connect with people we've been trying to do for years. So for sure. that is the silver lining of the situation. Definitely. Well, I appreciate you coming on and I definitely, we're definitely going to need to do volume two. Um, sending much love to you and, and your parents, make sure too, I, I may have to call, call your parents, just check in with them. Um, but, uh, yeah, say every, hi to mom and dad too. Also. I will. I will. And everybody check so, out. Tell your dad, I, I still don't have my license yet. Tell him I, uh, <laughs> but he's buying me a car when I get my uh, license. Yeah, that's been the threat for many years. Um, but you, <laughs> everybody make sure that if you don't, I'm sure most of you listening, uh, know where to find Adam, but it's, it's Deitch Adam, right? On Instagram. On Instagram. And uh, Break Science. Make sure you check out all the Break Science stuff. And obviously, Lettuce. Ch check out those Uber Jam records, the Pretty Lights records, um, the Golden Wolf uh, records stuff. It's on SoundCloud, right? And that's also on, spot yeah, on Spotify. Yeah, Golden Wolf is, is my little label for, um, as you know, I have about 5,000 beats. Yeah. And um, only, you know, and then I, I ended up turning those beats into like songs, you know, after seeing like Grammatic and Pretty Lights and how they develop a beat. Right. You know, so Golden Wolf is the home for all of this music. Yeah. So um, I'm about to release a new album. It's called Age of Imperfection. And uh, it's about like, you know how Dilla, the drums are imperfect, but they're perfect. Right, right. They're not quantized. People want, people don't want fully produced, fully fixed and polished things anymore. Yeah. They want that imperfection. They want that that phone video of crash just ripping in, you know, yeah. somewhere at a show, like they want that imperfect stuff and that's perfect. So I'm calling, I'm, I'm calling this the age of imperfection with art. I dig it. You know what I mean? I dig it. So that, that's where I'm taking it with that. And I have like, I, I took a page out of the crash book. I have eight animated videos, you know, Tight. 
to, to go with each one and um, all trippy animation and stuff like that to vibe out and, and to listen to. So hopefully y'all check out that Golden Wolf stuff. Definitely check that out. Um, and uh, yeah, just just follow follow Deitch on all the formats because you'll you'll never regret watching anything that he's doing. Brother, I thank you so much for doing this. And uh, thank you. It's been good talking to you. That was fun. Yeah, congratulations on your new podcast uh, <laughs> Thanks, endeavors, man. man. You, you know, try to try to stay busy while we're in quarantine. Yeah. All right. Much love, man. Peace. I want to thank Adam Dice for being on the show today. And I want to urge everyone to go check out the playlist that's associated with this episode. If you go to Spotify and you find this episode, um, I've been making playlists for each episode. And I decided to put together a bunch of songs that Adam and I have worked on and produced for other artists or put out under our own projects. So so go check that out. Um, And right now I'd like to play a song that Adam and I created together with the band Lettuce on that Rage album. And this one is called The Last Suppet.
Eric Krasno Plus One is hosted by me, Eric Krasno. Executive producers are RJB and Christina Collins. Audio production by Matt Dwyer. Produced by myself and Ben Baruch of 1111 Group. All original music is by me, and most of which are instrumentals from my album, Telescope, under the artist name Kraz. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email Kraz plus one at Gmail. That's K-R-A-Z-P-L-U-S-O-N-E at gmail.com. Send me some questions. Maybe I'll answer them on air. Send me suggestions of other guests you'd like to hear on the show. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next time.